Welcome to the official podcast channel of the Australian Physiotherapy Association, the latest in clinical, academic and health leadership, giving you access to preeminent physiotherapy research from Australia and across the globe. Last year's APA National Conference, Connect 2015, kicked off with a memorable address from international keynote speaker, Professor Stephen Blair, who expanded on the core focus of his 40-year research career, energy balance. In this podcast, Stephen is joined by APA musculoskeletal physiotherapist, James Debenham. In what follows, the two consider the significance that an individual's physical activity level plays on their overall health, society's current exercise habits, and physiotherapy's own responsibilities in this space. Steve, thanks so much for joining us and, and having a chat today. It's uh, great to be in your company. Perhaps maybe you could start off by uh, just giving us a little bit of background about yourself and how you come to be here in, on the Gold Coast. Right. right. Well, I came because I got invited. And I'm not going to turn that down. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> well, my, my research over the last 40-plus years has focused on physical activity and various health outcomes. I've done... Uh, Uh, big epidemiological studies with tens of thousands of people and a number of randomized trials uh, mostly focused on physical activity interventions, how to help sedentary people become and uh, stay more active. But my focus has been physical activity and health. And uh, physical inactivity is the biggest public health problem in the world. And and can you give us an overview of, say, your perceptions of sort of global variations? And I, I guess I'm interested in, in how you perceive, say, the Australian climate compared to maybe yours in the US and perhaps you know, elsewhere in the world. Well, I don't have any real data you know, to, to make a lot of these comparisons. But uh, uh, you know, we do know that, uh, well, for example, obesity rates are pretty high and essentially all of the uh, developed countries of the world. Uh, there are some slight differences, and America tends to be way up at the top uh, on that. But, uh, but Australia is not so far behind, uh, right? Yeah, Australia is not so far behind, and neither is uh, England or uh, Canada or, or what have you. So, um, I don't know, what, what was your question? <laughs> I, well, I, I guess, I, I guess what, I was, what I was curious about was kind of whether, you know, it's, it's clearly a, you know, a, d- a developing problem. And I was just, yeah. I, I'm always interested yeah. to know how, how you perceive the Australian right. situation compared to perhaps your own. Well, they're different countries, but I think in terms of uh, how the societies uh, react to different issues and and the health problems. I mean, there's more similarities than there are differences. And as I said a moment ago, I do believe that physical inactivity is the biggest public health challenge we have in the 21st century. And really the reason for that is that we've spent a few centuries uh, engineering human energy expenditure out of life. Mm. You know, back uh, uh, 100 years ago, uh, people on the job worked a lot harder than they do today, and we didn't have uh, electricity and cars, and, and life was very different. We have changed a lot of that through not only just modern technology, but the development of industrial technology and, uh, you know, cars and, yeah. you know, electricity in every home. and So things have really changed, and what that has done has tended to drive down energy expenditure. And do you see those drivers t- continuing? I mean, we, we can't predict the future, can we? But those, those things that are driving inactivity, do you think there's, that's only going to get worse? Or what are your well, thoughts th- on that? Yes, I, I think it's likely to continue. Uh, uh, we're not going back to the caveman um, era 
uh, and certainly modern technology in the modern world has many, many benefits, no, no question about it. So the challenge, I think, for us as uh, public health people, as, well, what the heck, politicians and the community as a whole, what do we do to ensure that people have an opportunity to be healthy? You know, physical activity is an important part, but obviously a healthy diet and not abusing drugs and, of course, not smoking cigarettes. And how do we organize our societies so that we have more people practicing healthy lifestyles so we have less chronic disease? And, and, from, and from your perspective, I mean, you, you sat here at a physio conference talking, talking to a physio, and I, I'm curious... It's, it's society's problem, obviously. Um, I'm interested to know your thoughts on the role that you believe physiotherapists can play in, in tackling this problem. Well, of course, I don't know much about physiotherapy, but uh, I would lump physiotherapists with physicians and nurses and exercise professionals and nutrition scientists. We all have to work together to try to get more people to lead healthy lifestyles being physically active, eating a healthy diet, not smoking the things I, I went through before. So, And I think in general, the clinical medical area, physicians, physios, uh, nurses, uh, I think they haven't given much attention. Mm. They haven't given enough attention to how do they promote that and make, make those healthy lifestyles occur in more and more individuals. And I do understand why. You're a physio, someone comes in with a serious problem, serious pain, you gotta treat that. You have to take care of that patient. And it's a specific problem and they've come with seeking a solution for one thing, not not another. Exactly, and that's true for physicians, whether cardiologists or internal medicine or whatever. And I understand you have to meet that primary responsibility. But I think also you have a responsibility to try to help promote healthy lifestyle, physical activity in general in the population. For example, you know, I've never been to a physio's office, uh, well, even in the U.S., let alone here well, in Australia. Yeah, well, that's great. But if I come into your office, what will I find? Will I find magazines two or three or four months old? And uh, will I find it? Well, why not have some materials that promote healthy living? Why not have uh, a, you know, a television or a video screen that is showing some videos about here's how you can improve your health? I mean, I, why not? People are there. They're waiting to see you. Yeah. Uh, let's take advantage of that time. They, and, of course, they're free to completely ignore it uh, if they want. But if, it's but, not, but it's not, if it's not there. Then, yeah, they don't have a chance to uh, consume it. So, you know, I would say get uh, get flyers, and I don't know who you can approach here with the, the Australian Heart Foundation. They've got to have some flyers on healthy lifestyle, and and you go to uh, some of the universities where the professors are working on these things. They've got materials, and you know, get materials to make available to your patients. And and can you tell us is is there any uh, obviously. Uh, familiar with your, your trials that have you know, shown that if you, if you change your lifestyle and uh, there's enormous benefits to it, outside of a, I say, a clinical setting, can you kind of summarize some of, the, some of the, the evidence that says that if you implement those simple strategies, it can, have a, it can make a difference at a population level? Has that work been done? Well, I don't think we've 
we don't have big randomized mm -hmm. trials of millions of people, you know, on the population level, and we, we probably never will have. But we do have some good studies, uh, both observational and, and randomized trials, of how to promote activity in different settings. For example, one of my colleagues at the University of South Carolina has recently been doing a project uh, on after-school care. So now with more and more families, both parents work, uh, kids get out of school, what do they do? Well, 70 years ago when I got out of school, I had to go home and clean up after the, the cows chores. and do, yeah. do the chores. But what do the kids do uh, today? So typically there, there is some kind of after-school care, and I'll bet you have programs yeah. like that here in Australia where the kid goes. So are those health-focused in any way? Do they have programs? that promote physical activity? Or can the kids just go there and get out their uh, uh, iPad and play video games? Which is what they're desperate to do. Which, and I'm not saying they should never be allowed to do that. Uh, my little grandson loves to do it. But uh, also, we, we need programs. And, and as an example, in a setting like that, they will get kids to be more active. And again, uh, some, some healthy eating yeah. can go along with that. And, and back to say the example in the in the, in the physio clinic or the uh, you know the the physio department. I think your examples are really. Good. I, I think it's really feasible that we can be kind of giving those subtle health messages. And I suppose I think what what some listeners might be thinking is, is it worth it? Like theoretically, of course it is. But I guess there, there'll be people questioning, saying, well, if I actually do this, what are the chances of it actually making a meaningful difference? And you got to remember that as a physio, you're absolutely right that. Yes, we're aware of the broader health needs of, of, our, of our patients and of our clients, um, but they do come with a specific problem, you know, sometimes. And, and I wonder, there'd be, there'd be people saying, oh, look, you know what, we've got to deal with this, and, and we get that that's important. It, if we put in those small strategies, I wonder yeah. if it'll make a... Well, I don't know either. Let's do some research. Let's, yeah. let's find out. And again, I don't know how the physios here operate, but when a new patient comes in, I'll bet some assistant collects vital sign. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah of, of effectively. Height, weight, blood pressure maybe. Yeah, those kind of data can be taken, yeah. And do you get physical activity? Yeah, it wouldn't be routine. I yeah, it wouldn't thought. be. I'm, yeah, I'm not surprised at yeah. that. So uh, the uh, Exercise is Medicine Initiative, uh, Dr. Bob Salas, who was the guy who started it, he, he works in Kaiser Permanente, which is the biggest healthcare system in the United States. He got Kaiser Permanente to put exercise on the vital sign page in their electronic medical records. Right. So you can't go to the doctor's office without getting your weight taken and your blood pressure and so on. And it's apparently kind of similar in the physio office. Well, this, this exercise vital sign probably takes the patient about 10 seconds mm. to complete. It's very simple. It's uh, what kind of exercise, how many days a week, how many minutes, and so therefore it can calculate, are you getting the 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity? Now, I know physios are not going to have the time to do a two-hour counseling session, giving them advice and so forth, but getting it on the agenda, it's a vital sign, it's important, and then you could say uh, to the patient, oh, I, I notice you're really quite sedentary. And, yeah, I really am. Well, do you have any interest in being more physically active, do motivational interviewing? Well, yeah, I think maybe I would. So I've got this pamphlet here that I got from University of Queensland professor so-and-so. Here, take it and see if you can get started. 
So I wonder if we as a profession need to be a little bit more ambitious in, in changing our culture to just be you know, more mindful of the opportunity that, that we have and the privileged position we have to perhaps have a stronger influence in this space. Absolutely, I totally agree. If, if physios and physicians and other healthcare practitioners would do that, will it make the whole population physically active overnight? Well, of course not. But let's start chipping away at it. And in the United States, we have a, a thing called the National Physical Activity Plan. It was the first, well, the first one was rolled out, first one ever in the United States. I think it was 2008. And before we released it, we had a steering committee that came together, and they identified eight sectors where we need to pay some attention to physical activity. And then we had, uh, again, world authorities write white papers for each one of those sectors. And don't challenge me too much, I can never remember all eight at any one time, but one of them is education, and one is clinical medicine, and the physios would fall in that. Uh, one is the work sites, not-for-profits, media. Gosh, how many is that? I got at least five. But, but there, there are, in each of those eight sectors, we identified strategies and tactics that we should start applying. And if, if you and your colleagues want to uh, uh, take a look at that, just Google the U.S. National Physical Activity Plan, and you can get to our website, and you all look the papers that were written by the experts. Uh, they were published, and they're on that website free of charge. So if, if your interest is, obviously, you know, on the clinical medicine side of it, we'll see what the recommendations were. What are the strategies and tactics that you might use in your practice to try to help people get more active? Fantastic. Um, you mentioned the media. Um, it's it's something which is, you know, it's a it's a curious uh, phenomenon really in this space. Perhaps you could share your thoughts on the role, productive or otherwise, that the media has to play in this. I don't remember what the strategies and tactics are in the media sector of our national plan, but uh, why couldn't they uh, put some some short clips up now and then? Uh, being physically active is good for you. Uh, Kaiser uh, Permanente developed, uh, of course, they were commercials for the Kaiser company, but uh, clever things one I'll never forget, uh, something about uh, the, the couch is a villain or something like that. And there's this guy lying on the couch, you know, reading or playing a video game or something, and uh, he decides, like maybe his wife said, you get outside and do some exercise. And he tries to get up, and the couch grabs him and pulls him back. And he tries to go down the stairs, and the couch comes down after him. You know, that kind of—it's just amusing things to get people thinking about it. Yeah. So again, um, to get the details, look at the national plan, look at the each of those uh, sectors, and uh, see the strategies and tactics. One of the other things I was interested in. Uh, in, in talking about was you know we're talking generally about physical activity uh, strength is is and strengthening as an exercise as a therapeutic exercise is something that physios uh, you know are, are skilled at and passionate about um, I wonder if you could share sort of your thoughts on you know the, the data that you've presented that's demonstrated that link with strength which I think is absolutely fascinating well yes the, and in our physical activity guidelines and whether it's us Australia, WHO, uh, there's uh, aerobic activity, cardiorespiratory activity, and also resistance training for strength. I mean, it's clear that uh, the strength is an important component of health and function, so we do need to emphasize that uh, as well. 
Our first work on that uh, decades ago was to look at preservation of function. You know, as you get older, you, you maintain muscle so you can do the things you, you, you need to do. And we went on from there as we got more data and more people uh, and, and found that uh, low strength was also associated with higher risk of dying early, of having heart attacks, having hypertension. And so as I've looked at our data and what's in the literature, aerobic fitness, aerobic activity, resistance training, muscular strength are both important to health. They probably overlap just a little bit, but they're independent. And so we need to be pushing both. And I think physios, of course, like as you said, you, you really focus on strength a lot and good on you. Keep doing it. And, and I, I guess it's interesting because most physios, I think, you know, we, we, you know, we base our therapy on, on movement and, and function. And I guess strengthening is, is a tool, if you like, for, you know, helping me to stand up or helping me to grab something. Um, and, and we wouldn't necessarily make that leap to saying strength in and of itself can have broader health benefits. Yeah. Um, and so that, those benefits that seem to be there, I was, I was sort of curious as to whether, is, is, that, an, is that, that association with you know, people who are less active are going to be less strong because they're doing less? Or is there, do you think, a, a unique additional kind of mechanism that, uh, that strength exercise might provide? Well, that's a very good question, and I'm not the best person to ask <laughs> the question. What are the mechanisms whereby the stronger people are less likely to die? You know, I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's fascinating. The data are powerful. I'm pretty convinced that there is that benefit to prevent some chronic diseases and reduce mortality risk. And obviously, if you're stronger, that means you've been using your muscles, and again, I'm not enough of a physiologist to go into any detail about what happens in all those muscle cells when you do some strengthening exercise. But I think there must be some good mechanisms that are built into that. Now, I mean, who knows? Maybe uh, a resistance training, maybe it helps control appetite. I don't know. Maybe it does. Yeah. Or maybe it helps control uh, blood pressure. Or uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it helps uh, reduce uh, inflammatory markers in the blood. And again, I'm, I'm not the expert to, to know where that would go. But from the epidemiological perspective, stronger people are less likely to die and better preserve their health. I, I work in a um, I work in a, a small uh, private practice that uh, sees a lot of athletes, and we have this we have this saying, and, and we're very focused on on strength. It's a big part of what we do, and, and we have this catchphrase, which is people come to see us, they want to, they want to be out of pain, and they want to be performing at a high level. Uh, and we say strong is fast and strong is resilient and I was chatting with a colleague yesterday after your talk and we were like we need to change that to say strong is fast strong is resilient and strong is alive okay so, yeah strong so, is alive strong is healthy yeah that's yeah, right it's, it's good for you which is terrific so just to, just in wrapping up perhaps uh, we'll finish off by kind of perhaps you could project into the future uh, and, and you could share your thoughts on perhaps your fears of what could happen and your hopes for what could happen as well? Well, the fear is that uh, we will continue to engineer human movement out of life. And as you've probably seen, uh, I don't think it's, uh, there are millions of them out there yet, but self-driving cars. So you won't even have to turn the steering wheel. <laughs> Sit there and sleep when, you're, when your car is driving. So, I mean, how many more ways are we going to engineer human movement out of society? 
I don't know, but there are probably some brilliant people out there working on that. So I am concerned that as we continue to engineer human movement down and down and down, how are we going to counteract that and help people learn how to build some activity back? And now, we're gonna, again, we're not going back to the Stone Age, and we're not going to get rid of cars. Well, at least we're not until we use up all the gasoline, and then where will we be? So maybe, maybe that'll be a good thing, right? <laughs> But, uh, but the pendulum needs to swing back a little bit, doesn't it? Well, and, and maybe in some other ways. So let's, let's promote uh, recreational activity, uh, opportunities in neighborhoods, uh, opportunities in the workplace, uh, you know, walking meetings. We have meetings in, 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 uh, in workplaces. Well, why not walk while you're having that meeting? And I know some people are, are doing that. Uh, you've probably heard about the standing desks, and there even are... Uh, you, you can get a desk and walk on a treadmill while you're working. And Now, I don't think that's going to be done by the 4 billion office workers in the world, but, you know, what will work for you? And I think each person needs to think, how am I going to build enough movement, enough activity in my life to preserve my health, preserve my function, live longer, live healthier, uh, be able to play with my grandchildren and so on, you know, it is in the end kind of my responsibility, too. Now, we can engineer society in such a way, you know, more bike lanes and, uh, and that, that's more, more parks and making it easier for people to be active. Uh, it's going to be a big task, and we do need to keep working on it. There's some great opportunities, though, aren't there? I hope so, yes. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, and uh, we hope you enjoy the rest of your time here in Australia. I'm sure I will, and thank you for inviting me, and uh, keep up the good work. To find out more information, visit physiotherapy.asn.au.